Good morning. Well, we're going to, um, as you know, we're looking at this series called Foundations, which has been going on for quite a while now. And um, as part of our look at our foundations, we've been focusing on the foundation of spiritual warfare, learning how to fight. And uh, we've been doing that by looking at Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of God and picking out each of those pieces in terms. So recently, we've learned how to put on the belt of truth, how to put on the breastplate of righteousness, and how to put on our, our footwear, which is the readiness of the gospel. And uh, today we're going to look at our fourth piece of equipment, which is the shield of faith. So I'm going to read, and if you've got your Bibles with you, it'd be great to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 10 through to 20. So Ephesians 6, 10 through to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Let's pray. Our oh, Father, what a privilege it is to gather as your people, Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, to gather together as your body, to spend time in your presence. Lord, what a privilege it was for us this morning to exalt your name. We loved it. We hope you loved it too, as we recognize you are seated in all authority and power. The beautiful name of Jesus. And then, Father, how you came close to us. How you reminded us of the testimony that we carry because you are alive and at work in our lives. We thank you. And now as we turn to your word, would you equip us? As we learn about this piece of armor that you've given to us, the shield of faith, would you open our hearts to understand how it can be effective in battle? Lord, that each of us may leave here a better equipped soldier of the Lord in this warfare that we're in. Lord, that you may be glorified. Amen. So take up the shield 
of faith. That's what verse 16 says. I don't know if you noticed it, but in the passage, there's a change of language. As Paul talks about the different uh, pieces of, of equipment. And because he, when the shield of faith is mentioned, he switches. So he commands the church in Ephesus to put on the belt, to fasten it, to buckle it. He tells them to put on the breastplate of righteousness. And he tells them to put on sandals or boots. But then he says to take up the shield, to take up the helmet and to take up the sword. And the picture that he's painting here is of soldiers getting ready for battle. And soldiers need to get dressed properly. Well, we all do, but particularly soldiers. And it takes time to put a belt around you, to gather your tunic in and fasten the buckle, to make sure that everything's held in place. It takes time to put on your breastplate. I imagine that maybe you needed a mate to kind of, you know, pull the cords on the back so it's fastened around you tight. And then it had to be attached to the belt, as Becky outlined those few weeks ago. And it takes time to pull on your boots or your sandals, to do up those leather thongs or laces so it's secure. All of those three pieces of equipment need to be properly fastened, securely attached to the soldier so they don't come loose. They're put on and they have to stay on because in the battle, when you're marching or when you're running or when you're crawling, you don't want any of those to come loose. But imagine for a moment the soldiers come to rest. Maybe they've been out on patrol nearby and they come back to camp and they kind of flop themselves down on a comfy rock and take off their helmet and put it on the floor next to them. Lay their shield down. Take the sword out so that they can be comfortable. What they don't do is remove their boots or their belt or their breastplate. Why not? Well, because when the call comes in that the enemy are near, they haven't got time to reassemble all that equipment. All they can do is leap up, take up their shield, take up their sword, take on their helmet, and then they're ready for the battle again. The other equipment has been put on in a permanent sort of a way. But these three bits of equipment, the shield, the sword, and the helmet, are taken up for that moment. And remember as well that Paul is writing from prison, where he's going to be guarded by a Roman soldier. And I imagine he's never seen a Roman soldier without a breastplate or a belt or boots on. But it may well be that across the room from where he's dictating this is a soldier sat on a chair with his shield propped up on the wall next to him. Maybe the soldier's even taken his helmet off. I don't know if you're allowed to do that when you're on duty. But the other stuff would have been in place. So there's a difference between these different pieces of equipment. And I think it shows us something of the nature and the purposes of these pieces of equipment. The truth, that belt, must never leave us. We must never set aside the truth. We must always be there to hold things in place. And we've seen, haven't we, over these recent years within our politics, what happens when truth isn't told. 
and that set aside, the culture of confusion and anger and betrayal that there is at the moment that's just constant in the press. We don't know what to believe. It's because truth has been set aside. It's been seen as secondary. And righteousness, this breastplate, well, that's our identity. We must never take that off. It's who we are in Christ. We can't just lay it aside because we're in Christ. And our sandals, we must never take them off. We must never be unready to share the gospel. We must never lay aside the imperative to go with the gospel. We must always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. Those three things, the belt, breastplate and shoes, are constantly on us. But faith as our shield operates a bit differently. Now, we've got to be clear here because we're not talking about saving faith. By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves that no one may boast. Paul's already said that a few chapters previously. Saving faith leads to the righteousness of Christ, and that's what we have on permanently. So implied in us having the breastplate of righteousness is the fact that we're saved. And saving faith is part of our ongoing, constant experience. But the faith here, the shield of faith, is a bit different. It's something that we exercise. It's something that we can draw upon in the midst of battle. It's something which needs to be strengthened and grown. Something that we need to learn how to use to wield this shield. Something that we can take up when the need arises. James 2.17 tells us that faith without works is dead. So faith, this faith, this shield of faith, is about action. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is about motivation, it's about hope, it's about the future, it's something that propels us forward. We take up the shield of faith because we're called into action. The battle is upon us, so we need our shield. When things kick off, we take up the shield of faith. So what then is the purpose of the shield of faith? Well, I think verse 16 is really clear on this. It says, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's a spiritual picture that Paul is painting here. And the evil one is clearly a reference to Satan. And the flaming arrows are what he bombards us with. But in the physical, because it's a physical picture he's describing of a Roman soldier, what would have happened is that the enemy archers would have taken strips of cloth or material and they would have wrapped it around their arrows. They would have then dipped the arrow in a flammable liquid of some sort. And they would have set light to it and then fired it or thrown it. And the idea was that this flaming arrow set alight just before it was shot would then go hit the enemy pierce the body armor, and lock in place. And on impact, it would burst into flame. 
if you've been watching the news, you see what happens recently when someone is set on fire. It is horrific. That's what they were aiming for in the battle. Now, the best defense against a flaming arrow is a shield. A wooden shield coated in metal that the arrow hits, bounces off, and the flame can be snuffed out. It doesn't get anywhere near the body armor, nowhere near the, the bits of your, your body which are exposed. But the shield of faith is what extinguishes the arrows of the enemy. I think it's worth noting that these enemy attacks are not constant. I suppose I think of it a bit like trench warfare in the First World War, where they would be fighting and then followed by this lull, by days maybe, of inaction, just waiting, waiting, waiting for the next attack, on the alert. But then the alarm would sound and everything is all action again. Maybe a full frontal attack, maybe an attack from one of the flanks. Maybe lasting minutes or hours or days. The thick of the action and then the lull again. But the key was to be alert. The key was to be ready. The key was to be at the moment the call comes in, up you take with your shield. Well, not in the first world, but you know what I mean. But in this combat situation, take up your weapons, ready to fight. So what then are the fiery darts or the flaming arrows of the evil one? Well, I think they can take all sorts of different forms. We've got to remember that the enemy fights dirty. He really does. This isn't a fair fight because he doesn't do fair. He uses everything he can to attack us. So he'll use circumstances. He'll use other people. He'll use temptation. He'll use difficulties. He'll use all sorts of different things to attack us. But a key mode of attack is his use of lies. The enemy is the father of lies. He's the accuser. He's the deceiver. And he's out to sow discord, to sow doubt, to sow lies into our thinking. And so he fires things at us all the time which are in line with his nature and are therefore not true. And so I'm going to suggest a few of the sorts of lies he might fire at us. I'm going to give us five. These are things that I think he, uh, well, I, I hear quite regularly from people. And probably in my own thinking, as well. definitely in my own thinking as well. So um, here's five. So I'll just read them out. Things will always be like this. Nothing will change. Even when you prayed about it, nothing happened. Or what about, go on, it doesn't matter. It's only a small sin. And anyway, you can always ask Jesus for forgiveness. What about this one? Call yourself a Christian. You make mistakes all the time. You let Jesus down all the time. You're just not good enough. Or this one. You don't really fit in at Jubilee. You don't belong here and you've got nothing to offer. Or this one. You're not much of a Christian. 
Christians aren't meant to worry, so why are you so anxious? So, Rob promised you interactive. So what you're going to do is you're going to discuss these in small groups. I suggest groups of three, four, five, six. Don't go too big. I know it's nice to hang out with lots of people, but you won't get a chance to speak because I'm not going to give you very long. And this is the task. If these were to be fired at you by the enemy, what would you do to combat it? What would it be in your shield of faith that would stop it? And maybe think along the lines of Jesus, who when he was tempted, what did he do? He pulled out scripture. And he said, oh, yeah, you say that, but actually this is what God says. So if you can think of any scriptures that might be helpful for this to combat these lies, then do that. Okay? So does that make sense as a task? I'm going to give you a few minutes. So gather around small groups, discuss some of these, uh, see what you come up with, and in a few minutes we'll uh, get some feedback from you all. Okay, then. So... Uh, if you just bring your conversations to a close there. <laughs> right. Um, so, it would be good to hear now how if these, if these are some of the flaming arrows that the enemy is firing, then how would you combat it? And so I've got a microphone here, so I'm going to bring this round and you're going to be able to share your lives now. Remember that this isn't about dialogue with the enemy, okay? When he throws a lie at you, you don't sit down and have a big discussion with him about it. It's a short, this is the truth. Jesus' example, yeah, you reckon, church turn these stones into bread? I reckon. Yeah, and you know the combat. So it's, it's short stuff. I'm not giving all the answers. Yeah, so uh, who'd like to kick us off? Doesn't matter which lie you've gone for, but how would you come, Beth? First hand up, great. Um, for the first one, the things will always be like this, nothing will change, and even when you pray, nothing happens. Uh, we can just look at testimonies and like the solid evidence of things actually have changed before so they can do it again. Right. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Is this the same one, Melina? My prayers are powerful and effective. Yes. yes. Can I do it? <laughs> um, Philippians 1.6, um, I am sure of this, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, good stuff. Any more? Right? Yeah. Keep praying. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for the benefits of recording, so a parable of the persistent widow. Kept coming back, kept coming back, kept praying until something happened. Um, I would say it's God's time. God makes the time, not us. Yeah, yeah, great. So the, this, this taps into the sovereignty of God, doesn't it? So it's his plans, his purposes, his timing. Yeah, so there is that, that recognition that we want stuff to happen now, or preferably yesterday, um, but God's timing is perfect. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Jane. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Yeah. Yeah, a good truth. Thank you. Okay, any others? Any, uh, any other combats to any of the other lies? Go on, Rob. 
Um, I just think that you don't fit into Jubilee as a leadership thing as well as a member of the church thing. Just want you to know that. Um, Tom and I were talking about it last night, in fact, before the encounter meeting. It's called imposter syndrome. And uh, I think one of my, for me, it's about a decision. I'm going to do it anyway because God's called me to do it. So, yeah. 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 And what, so what truth have we got then to, yeah. This is from the SAV, the slightly altered version. <laughs> Can we cut this mic? Yeah. <laughs> the eye cannot say to the little finger, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the little toe, I don't need you. So even if we're a little finger or a little toe, we're needed. Yeah, thank you. So that's, that's one of the images that um, Emily started off the meeting with, wasn't it? It was about the body. Um, so yeah, thank you, Paul. Yeah, I think, uh, call yourself a Christian. You make mistakes all the time. Well, he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world. Yeah, Hallelujah. absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Tom? Uh, just on that one as well, there's no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. Absolutely. So, yes, I make mistakes, but there's no condemnation. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Thank you. It's on the worry one, because I think sometimes there's so much to worry about. <laughs> and sometimes it's when you're asleep and then the... You're woken up and you start thinking about things and then you realise that you're going over and over and over it. And actually that's a worry. Mm -hmm. And um, so my, my antidote to that is cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And even in those moments, I take those worries and I give them to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. Thanks, Alice. So if I feel like I'm not doing very well and I'm making mistakes and I'm letting people down, I, which, which hmm? no, oh, thank you, which I don't do very often. See, I turn to my wife for encouragement. <laughs> I, um, I have a folder in my email, and when anybody sends me an email that's encouraging, I file it in that folder, and it's something I can look back on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah great idea. Great idea. I've got one of those as well. It's called Good Emails. It's bursting. Yeah. <laughs> Any others? I don't think we've done this. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's only a small sin. We've got Paul. Um, Romans 6, we're not slaves to sin. We're slaves to God. And that's yeah. what we're going to live by. Okay, great. Yeah, so that idea of that yeast working its way through. Yeah, yeah, great. Any other? Say that again, Rob. There's no such thing as a small sin. Sin is sin. Wage to sin is death. Period. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's identifying one of the lies in there that there's no such thing as a small sin. Um, yeah, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In our group, Rob went on to say about how confessing sin breaks the power of it. 
Yes. So that's a good thing yeah. to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Great. Okay. Um, thank you all. And uh, I mean, this is, I think all of these sound plausible as well. You know, there's, there's little seeds of truth in there that the enemy has then twisted and turned into something that can be quite destructive. Um, but, well, may, maybe this is kind of a summary of me on, the, on there. But, it's, but these things niggle away at us. And, and there will be, there's many other lies. There will be many other angles that the enemy will use to try and get into each of us because we're all wired differently. But what we've just done is that we've corporately exercised our shield of faith. We've taken up our shield of faith. We've serviced it, if you like. We've kind of polished it down, cleaned it up, checked that it's all sound, and it's ready to go now. And certainly when I picture uh, a, a soldier... I think of maybe one of the, them having one of those little round Viking-style shields, you know, that you kind of... Um, but actually, that's not what was on offer here. This isn't the picture that Paul had. What he would have imagined or had was this full-length shield, which is basically foot to eye level. And not only that, but they were... It covered the whole body, which was important, but they locked together as well. There's a picture here of the Roman testudo. It's like a tortoise shell. So it all interlocks. You try getting an arrow through that. But you'll notice that it only works if they're all locked together. Each soldier had to pick up their own shield, but then it was brought together for increased effectiveness. And I think too often I read this passage of the armor of God with my Western individualistic mindset on it. I must put on my armor. I must stand and fight. I must go out and defeat the enemy, combat the enemy, all of that. And that is absolutely true. I do need to do that. But actually, who wants to be a lone soldier? They get picked off quite easily, taken out. I want to be part of an army, part of a body, part of a group, part of a battalion who together combat the, the enemy. And so we actually put on this armor, armor together. That's the key thing. We take up our shield of faith together, lock into each other. Each soldier dresses themselves for battle, is prepared for war, and then stands with others. It's really important. And I think that's an example of what we've just done there. Because between us, we came up with many more ways of combating these lies than if I'd just been sat in my room on my own. And there's one other thing to note as well. Just let me read verse 16 again to you. So take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish a few of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Hang on, I think I made, misread it. Take up the shield of faith with which you'll be able to extinguish the really obvious flaming arrows of the evil one. Now, it's just not right, is it? Take up the shield of faith 
with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. All of them. Every single one of them. It's really crucial. It means that there's nothing, absolutely nothing, that the enemy can fire at us which can destroy us. He's got no super arrow. He's got no nuclear option. There's nothing that is indefensible with the shield of faith. Nothing. Why? Because every flaming arrow can be extinguished by the shield of faith. All of them. And that is why the corporate aspect is important. Because my faith is only as strong as my faith. But combined with others, there's much greater strength there. So when a lie comes in and chips away at me, and I'm not sure how to combat it, or maybe I don't even realize what the lie is, I can talk to the brothers and sisters that God has placed me amongst. And say, Simon, you're not thinking right here. This is how you combat that lie. You think that? No, 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 no. You've got that wrong. Use this. I don't have all the answers to the enemy lies. But the Holy Spirit does. And so I can ask him and speak to you about it. And so what we're going to do to finish, I assume we're going by the 5 past 12 rather than the 5 past 11 clock, but it's up to you. Um, we're going to stand together and pray with one another. We're going to lock our shields of faith together and combat the lies which are flying around from the enemy. And I don't know what lies it is for you. I mean, for me, the big one, uh, it's gone off the screen, but if you can, so it's that bottom left one. I do a lot of travel in the month of March and other months as well, where I'm just on my own in hotel rooms or eating dinner on my own table for one, please, all that kind of thing. Temptation is there. That's how the enemy likes to isolate me. Go on, Simon. It doesn't matter. You can watch that. You can read that. You can think that. You can do that. I don't know what it is for you. But that's one that is for me at the moment. So what is it that the enemy is trying to chip away at? Let's stand with one another and pray with one another. So Jesus, we, we thank you that you equip us for the fight. We thank you for the shield of faith that you have given to each one of us. And Lord, we love that picture of the way the shields all lock together, that there is protection for your whole family. And so, God, would you speak to each one of us. May we be a people who are quick to identify the flaming arrows of the enemy, that we would recognize where there's a twist on the truth that will lead us into error, that where there's a lie that is from the pit of hell, Lord, would we be alert to that? And Father, would you strengthen our shields of faith that all the flaming arrows of the enemy would be extinguished because we want to be a people who are ready for the fight, a people who take ground for you, a people who stand in the strength that you have uh, given to us. So Father, bless us, we pray. May this week be a week of lie-busting for us as Jubilee. 
And may you be glorified in everything we do. Amen.